Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about hydration for mountain biking. So before we get started in this conversation, we should note that neither of us are experts on hydration or nutrition or any of that kind of stuff. But what we have done is we've done a little bit of research and there's a lot of conflicting information out there and so we're going to try to at least wade through it a little bit and maybe provide some different viewpoints and different data about how hydration works for mountain biking. So we're going to be talking a lot about sports drinks and things that you can drink, obviously, while you're on the mountain bike trail. So I want to start off by asking, why can't you just drink water on your mountain bike rides? Well, you can just drink water, but if you're, you know, you're out for a long ride or a very strenuous ride, you're going to be losing electrolytes. So mainly that would be, I guess, sodium and potassium. So you need to replace those things. Otherwise, that can lead to muscle cramps. And for any of you that have had a bad muscle cramp, you know how bad that can hurt. And it can, you know, it can make you stop riding and just lay on the ground, writhe in pain. (laughs) I've been there many times. Me too. Yes. So another thing that, you know, most people are concerned with being dehydrated and losing too much water. Um, there's also another condition you can get from not having the right mix of minerals in your bloodstream called hyponatremia. And this is actually where you gain water weight. Your body actually has too much water. Do you know anything about that, Aaron? Yeah, I looked into that and that was actually something that came up time and time and again in uh, the research for this podcast. So basically, you know, once you drink more water than your kidneys can process, your blood gets waterlogged and that makes your cells swell, which is okay in most of your body where, you know, there's fat and muscle and the cells can expand and you'll just be bloated. But inside your skull, where hopefully your brain is, there's not a lot of wiggle room. So, if the cells in your brain swell, that's going to press your brain against your skull. It can cause seizures. It can cause a coma. It can cause your breathing to stop and ultimately can kill you. So this is something that's happened and I found it mostly in running related articles, but this seems to be, I mean, not a regular occurrence, obviously, but has happened in some pretty high profile marathons um, where people are drinking too much um, while they're exercising and the body can't process it. And it's actually, from what I've been able to glean from my research is if you have to choose one over the other, it's better to be dehydrated than overhydrated because if you're dehydrated, you can drink some water or in a worst case scenario, you get an IV. But dehydration generally is not going to kill you. But hyponatremia can kill you. And it's kind of, um, you know, once that sets in, there's not a lot that can be done. So yeah, I would, uh, don't drink too much, I guess. Yes. And yeah, you know, I'd always heard that there at certain events, particularly like triathlons, 
where there are these really long endurance events, a lot of times they'll weigh the competitors throughout the race to make sure that they're not getting what I assume to, to make sure they're not getting dehydrated, but they're also looking to make sure you're not gaining weight. So if you're gaining weight during a race, that's a really bad sign and you probably are, are overhydrated. So interesting to note. I guess one other thing too, for a lot of people is water is boring and adding a little flavor to your drink doesn't hurt. And I, actually it helps you as we're going to find out a little bit later. Yeah. I just want to add also in there, um, you know, while you are, while you're exercising, you're losing water and you're losing those electrolytes, but you can't just, you know, replace at a one to one ratio, which is, you know, why they're weighing people during triathlons. So basically your body can process about a liter of water per hour during exercise, but the optimal replenish rate. And again, this is going to vary on the weather and on, you know, each individual on how, how big or how small you are. It's about half of that. So if you're losing a liter of water every hour, then you need to take in half a liter of water every hour, which is about 16 or 17 ounces. So essentially like the standard water bottle size is what you should be drinking every hour while you're uh, exercising. And don't just drink it all in a few big gulps because you don't want to overload your your system. You want to take small sips throughout the hour. Ah, that reminds me of this weird thing I saw at Interbike a few years ago. It was the, uh, so there's this hydration pack called the Geiger Rig, and it's this like pressurized uh, hydration system. Um, so you don't have to suck when it's time to drink water. You just like, you know, bite down on the thing and it like sprays the water into your mouth. <laughs> but one of the like hose attachments that they had was this thing that you like put in your cheek and it like, lets out a drop of water like every second or every five seconds or something like a predetermined rate for exactly that reason. So they had done research that showed if you're constantly hydrating, that's better than, like you said, taking a few gulps, you know, whenever you have the chance. And so this guy was doing like a demo of it. And I mean, it just, it looked as ridiculous as it sounds, you know, this guy's like talking with this straw that's like permanently clipped to his cheek and yeah. It, actually, I think the thing they were using was like medical grade or something. It was like a IV line or something. It's really, really weird. But who knows? Like maybe in the future, that's the kind of edge that like people are going to need to compete in these big events. So TBD. <laughs> that's why actually you'll see, um, you know, some endurance racers will choose to use um, a camelback or some sort of hydration pack for their water or whatever they're drinking because it's easier to get to. You know, if you're riding on some really technical single track, it's pretty, especially if you're in doing it at a race pace, it's going to be tough to reach down and grab a water bottle and drink regularly, whereas a hose is easily accessible. So it's a lot easier to keep that continuous flow of hydration going. Yeah, that reminds me of another thing I saw in our research that one of the big things that some of the sports drinks companies or one in particular is doing was they're researching different sports where people need to be hydrated. And apparently uh, like NASCAR racing, stock car racing uh, is an area where people sweat a ton and previously they weren't really hydrating. So yeah, they put a hose in the car <laughs> because like you said, they can't take their hands off the wheel to drink, but if they have it available, then they can use it and it's going to help them. 
Having driven a NASCAR last summer, I can confirm that it is indeed hot as shit <laughs> inside a car. Yeah, there's no AC, obviously, uh, and you're wearing a fire suit. So uh, it, it gets pretty warm in there. So you mentioned uh, sports drinks, Jeff, and uh, probably the most famous of all, I guess the granddaddy of sports drinks is Gatorade. So what can you, what can you tell us about Gatorade? So Gatorade, a lot of people probably know the story, but Gatorade was developed by the, at the University of Florida in the 1960s. And they named the drink after the Florida Gators. It's, the, it's Gatorade. And it's spelled A-D-E instead of A-I-D because they were concerned at the time that if they called it aid with an I, that people would think it was like some kind of medical thing or, you know, they'd have to get additional approvals for it. So they didn't, they don't want people to think it was like a health drink or anything like that, but it turned out that there were some real advantages to the formula that they came up with. And the University of Florida went on to have several winning uh, football seasons, which they chalked up at the time to the effectiveness of Gatorade. And even one of their opposing coaches, Georgia Tech's own Bobby Dodd, was said to have remarked that the reason that they lost, that the Yellow Jackets lost to the Gators was because Yellow Jackets didn't have Gatorade. So it was a big deal. And people were, you know, understandably, the marketing was was huge back then because, you know, it appeared that this drink was allowing this team to, you know, compete at a higher level. So years later, one of the inventors, Dr. Robert Cade, actually came up with a new formulation for a sports drink, which he nicknamed TQ2, which was Thirst Quencher 2. And he did some tests and he claimed that cyclists were actually able to sustain their output for 30% longer when they were drinking TQ2 than Gatorade. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Right. Huge advance. But then Cade tried to sell the formula to Pepsi, but Gatorade's owners sued him. Uh, because they they held the patent to Gatorade and perhaps to some of the stuff that went into this new sports drink. And so he lost that suit, and Gatorade's parent company took over the formula for TQ2 as well. And they never actually released it or anything. And the inventor claimed that the parent company was, you know, stifling research on this and that they were, you know, purposely keeping it off the market. But Anyway, it was never released. Gatorade claimed that the product wasn't as effective as Cade thought it was, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, maybe there's something else out there still. <laughs> well, TQ2 is a pretty horrible name, so hopefully <laughs> if, if they had put that out on the market, they would have changed the name. Yes. Yeah, so Gatorade, as I'm sure everyone knows, it's available at every gas station and store in the world about just about now, and it's made a boatload of money for both the folks that invented it and the University of Florida. So as of 2015, the University of Florida has received over $281 million in royalties uh, from Gatorade. So pretty good uh, revenue stream for those guys down there. And the overall sports drinks market in the U.S. is exceeds a billion and a half dollars a year. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot of liquids. 
But, you know, unfortunately, most of the people who are drinking sports drinks aren't sporting <laughs> while they're drinking these, uh, which means they're just drinking a ton of sugar, which is not good for you. So, for instance, sticking on Gatorade, sorry to stick it to you guys, but uh, a 20-ounce bottle of Gatorade has 34 grams of added sugar in it. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Just to let you know, the American Heart Association recommends an added sugar daily intake, so this doesn't include naturally occurring sugars like if you eat a banana or whatever. Added sugars of 36 grams for men and 24 grams for women as a daily intake. So if you drink a bottle of Gatorade, that's pretty much all the added sugar. You, a 20-ounce bottle, too. That's pretty much all the added sugar you should have that day. Hmm. But do you know, does Gatorade actually have sugar in it or is it corn syrup or some other sweetener? I believe it's just sugar. Yeah, I think I was looking at the, well, Pepsi now owns, does own Gatorade. They bought the Quaker Oats Company, I believe, which owned them, uh, which owned Gatorade beforehand. So Pepsi bought Quaker Oats just so they could have Gatorade, which I guess has been a great business move for them. But, uh, yeah, I believe the ingredients are water, sugar, and added coloring. Blue dye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, considering those those recommended intakes of 36 grams for men and thirty or 24 grams for women, um, you can kind of see where you'd run into trouble and why. If you're just sitting at your desk at work, like many of us are uh, every day, you probably shouldn't be chugging a bottle of Gatorade while you're doing it. Uh, you know, some states and even school systems have moved to ban sports drinks and sodas from campuses because they they don't have much uh, nutritional value in a in a typical setting. Yeah. So you mentioned all that added sugar that these sports drinks have, and it turns out there's actually sort of new thinking on how hydration should work and how sports drinks should be formulated. And it kind of all started with Noon. So a lot of people know. That company, but Noon was one of the first companies. Actually, they claimed to be the first company that separated electrolyte replacement from carbohydrates. So basically, they separate. They claim to be the first to separate out, you know, the sodium and potassium and those minerals that the sports drinks have from all the sugar. And they claim that part of the thinking behind that is that it helps your body digest the hydration better or it helps the minerals get into your system more quickly. Also, a lot of people report, you know, getting cramps or feeling sick after drinking something like Powerade during a ride. And so that was kind of the impetus for that. And that's kind of the state of the art or where we're at right now. A lot of these drinks that that are marketed to cyclists and mountain bikers in particular are sugar-free and they do separate out those carbs from the minerals. Yeah, I think Noon actually has maybe, I think, one gram of sugar per tablet. And I think they use natural sweeteners like stevia. But it's, yeah, they're very big on constantly tinkering with their formula to make it better. I know I've been, I'm personally a big fan of Noon. I've been using it myself for years for the exact reason that you said. I don't really like to take a lot of calories in through my liquids unless I'm drinking beer and that's usually done after the ride. So yeah, I really like, uh, you know, I like to eat my calories and, you know, drink my hydration. I don't really like the two to mix because I have had some bad experiences where I tried a, a sports drink or a mix that had either too much sugar or maybe it had protein in it. And it was just not a, not a good scene. 
Yeah. Well, keeping in mind that, again, we are not experts on this. We're not not doctors. We're not doctors, health professionals or anything like that. But I do want to talk about sort of the components, the basic components of these hydration drinks, some of the options that are out there too, and then talk a little bit about what those ingredients do. So from Noon, Noon claims, and this is probably true, but again, I don't know for sure, that sodium is the most abundant electrolyte that you lose to your sweat. So that's kind of their top priority is replacing that sodium that you're losing during exercise. The next is potassium. And a lot of people say that potassium is something that your body needs that really helps with like muscle cramping. So if any, if you've ever had like a muscle cramp and somebody's like, Hey, eat a banana, that's kind of where that's based out of because apparently bananas have a lot of potassium in them. I know that I've personally found and have been, you know, told before when I have a muscle cramp that it could also be salt. So, you know, people will hand you like a mustard packet and tell you to down that um, because it's super salty and or some pickle juice, pickle juice. Exactly. Another so, good one. so, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. It seems that potassium and potentially sodium too will both help you prevent those muscle cramps. And then again, this is from noon. Noon, noon says that magnesium and calcium are a couple of other important electrolytes that help with muscle contractions and movement. Again, these are much more minor things than like the sodium and potassium, but according to their research, at least these, these are things that an athlete would need during exercise. Aaron, you mentioned protein in a drink that seems to have maybe been a fad for a little bit, but yeah, we're not seeing that as much. Do you you know anything about protein in hydration drinks? I think it's, it's kind of looking to do two things in one, you know, like I said, it's, it's, trying to give you calories and protein at the same time as it's hydrating you. So it's not something that's worked for me. I know I know some of my friends prefer it that way just because it's easy. They don't have to eat anything on the bike. But for whatever reason, it doesn't sit well in my stomach doing things that way. Yeah. So one of the things I read uh, from Tailwind Nutrition Company, they make a, a drink as well. And they said that their research and other research that they've looked at shows that adding protein during exercise doesn't really help you with endurance. And in fact, it correlates with uh, gastrointestinal distress. So basically you get sick or you get cramps. So yes. So yeah, you're onto something there, Aaron. Th- they also show that what they think is happening is that protein is hard to digest and it can shut down your digestive tract during exercise. So that's going to slow down the absorption of the stuff that you do need during exercise, which is, you know, obviously water and those minerals and also even carbohydrates for energy. Yeah. Protein should really probably, unless you're doing a really, really, really long ride, use protein more for recovery than during the actual exercise. Chocolate milk, honestly, is one of the, one of the best recovery drinks. You know, they put it up against all different sorts of brands from you know, and they're different formulations, and they found that if you can handle it, chocolate milk is, you know, one of the best things you can do for recovery. And it's also important that you need carbohydrates as part of your recovery as well. And you actually need more carbs than protein. So, you know, if you just went and did a 20-mile ride, don't go get one of those muscle milk things that has like 80 grams of protein in an 8-ounce bottle or whatever it is because you don't, 
you're, you're just going to hurt your stomach. You don't need that much protein. Yeah. So another thing that you'll find in a number of these hydration products is caffeine. And it, some people tend to think that caffeine is a diuretic. That is, it, it dehydrates you to some degree. And so it might seem kind of weird to have caffeine in a drink. But according to the Mayo Clinic, uh, caffeine doesn't really, it doesn't increase your risk of dehydration. It is mild diuretic. So it means it's going to make you pee more, but you're not, you're basically not peeing out more than you're taking in, which is a good thing when you're exercising. So the caffeine is okay. You know, if it, if you think it helps you, I tend to drink a Mountain Dew right before a ride, which I think, I mean, it really helps me. I'm not a big fan of it during the ride, but yeah, I definitely can see some value in caffeine for me personally. Yeah. I like, um, I like a nice can of Coke, uh, towards the end of a long ride as a pick me up. That's really, uh, that works wonders for me. Um, you know, it's sweet, it's bubbly, get a little caffeine back on the road and going again. So, uh, I do that a lot of time on really long road rides. Obviously if you're riding a trail, there's probably not a vending machine out in the woods. So it's not always an option, <laughs> but those little mini cans of Cokes, like the little, you know, bullet size ones, whatever they are, uh, those are good to take on really long rides. Nice. So recently there's, there's been sort of a backlash against some of these drinks, particularly the, the fizzy hydration tabs from Camelback and Noon and companies like that. Um, a lot of people are looking for more like homemade natural drinks and they're kind of, you know, wary of the science that's behind some of this hydration stuff. And, you know, that's totally understandable. A lot of this started back when power bars were like all the rage. So, you know, power bars came from a lot of like science and lab work where they're like, okay, we found the optimal thing that you need to eat, but it turned out it tastes like garbage. So, <laughs> you know, that was a problem people had. And so then you saw things like cliff bars and, you know, things that tasted more like food and were perhaps though not as effective. So that's kind of the tension where we are right now is there is some good science out there that's producing these drinks. But what these companies are saying is that their biggest challenge is actually taste. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But a lot of people, what they're doing is mixing like, uh, I guess there are recipes out there online, but you can basically mix sugar, salt, water, lemon, and orange juice to make your own sports drink. So, you know, completely natural ingredients, things you would have in your house that is nearly as effective as some of these science-based products, but not quite as effective. Right. I mean, that's basically the first recipe of Gatorade, right? <laughs> right. Taking it back old school. Uh, so the, the, again, not doctors, but the main takeaway from all the articles that I read is just to drink water. You know, it's cheap, it's readily available, and it's the best thing to keep you hydrated under most circumstances. Even for rides, if you're doing an hour or less, drinking plain water is all you need. On longer rides or if it's really hot outside, you know, something with some sodium in it is definitely a good idea. If you're an, a serious endurance athlete on a training plan, then your needs are going to be different. But it's also, you know, chances are if you're that serious about your riding that you have a coach and you're also you're thinking about your nutrition and hydration plan as part of your training. Yeah, so everyone's needs are a little bit different, but in most cases you can drink water and you'll be all right. And it's better for the environment because, you know, you're not throwing away Gatorade bottles all the time. <laughs> 
And uh, drink to your thirst level, which that means if you're thirsty, drink. If not, then don't drink, but definitely don't force it. Yeah, and that kind of ties in with what you're saying too about drinking alternative things during the ride, a Coke or milk. You know, I'm a big fan of just listening to my body. And if my body tells me I'm thirsty, you know, I'm going to drink. Same time, if it tells me I want beef jerky, then I'm going to chew on some beef jerky, you know? So, yeah, it's milk after the ride. Just just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. But what if you wanted it during the ride? You could do it. Oh, yeah. You totally could. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, uh, I've never had the craving for milk (laughs) during a ride. Right. Yeah. Unless you have the urge. Yeah. Probably stay away from it. Okay. So I said that we were going to talk a little bit about taste. We actually did a hydration drink taste test or sports drink taste test a little while back where we took a number of these pretty similar products. Most of them were the tablet based beverages and we mixed them all up and then did a blind taste test to see which ones tasted the best. Again, taste isn't, I mean, obviously that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is if it works, but again, not doctors, (laughs) we don't have a lab or like a treadmill where somebody could run and we could, you know, hook them up to a bunch of wires. So we just decided let's find the ones that taste good and those are probably the ones people are going to use. So what we found was the most delicious of the sports drinks were the Camelback Elixir Watermelon, in case you want to pick that one up. And then also a couple of different drinks from Beachbody, uh, which I think you can find in like GNC or health food stores. But the body Beachbody Citrus and the Lemon flavor were both highly rated What about some ones that weren't so good? Yeah, so there were a couple from Tailwind that people were not very fond of, the Tropical Buzz and the Lemon Buzz. And somebody somebody in the test actually said that Tailwind Lemon tasted like bath water. And then somebody else said that the Tailwind Tropical Buzz tasted like bar mat squeezes. So I'm not really sure. I would think that would have some alcohol in it. I didn't taste the alcohol, (laughs) but... Uh, yeah, as you can tell, it wasn't good. And then actually noon, energy mango orange didn't do very well in our tests either. Looking at those results, though, when we kind of ordered them out, they, it turned out that the drinks that people preferred the most were the ones that had the least amount of sodium. And I mean, literally just right down the line, you know, the ones that had a ton of sodium were people's least favorite drinks. And then also with caffeine. So the if there were like two different noons, people prefer the one without caffeine. And supposedly caffeine is, you can't taste it, but for whatever reason, uh, that's just how our test worked out. Also, the other thing was that the sweeter drinks tended to do better in our test. And we didn't test Gatorade or Powerade or any of those pre-mixed sports drinks, but I'm pretty sure if we did, those would come out on top. And again, they're sweeter, but they also have way less sodium than even the lowest sodium sports drink that we tested. So this gets back to the problem that these companies are having, which is they know what's good for us, but they also know we're not going to drink it if it tastes really salty or, or gross. So guess a spoon full of sugar does help the medicine go down, right? <laughs> right. Well, and maybe, maybe the Geiger rig guy was onto something. We just need like IVs tapped right into our veins so we don't have to taste what's going in. I like that idea. Awesome. Okay. So that's all we've got about hydration for mountain biking. 
Remember, if you have any questions at all about mountain biking, be sure to check out singletracks.com and find our forums on the website. That's under the community tab. On there, you can ask questions or help other people who might have questions. It's also a good place to suggest topics for the podcast. We're always checking the forums and seeing what people are interested in hearing about or what they want to learn more about. That's all we've got this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.